We started a series last week, and we titled that series Autopsy. And I shared with you last week that one of Kelly and my favorite things to do on the weekends is watch murder mysteries. And we oftentimes will even say it like this, you want to watch a documentary on how to kill someone and get away with it. We're just a little sick with our sense of humor, but we like 48 Hours Mystery and Dateline and Lester Holt and all, all those mysteries. But it's amazing when you watch these murder mysteries, you know, the two things that seem to always solve the case are first DNA evidence left at the crime scene. The other is an autopsy. And what is an autopsy? It's when we determine three things. The first thing that we seek to discover when performing an autopsy is the state of health. The second thing is the cause of death. And the third thing is we try to establish identity. Well, last week we established the identity of the beast, the Antichrist. And we talked about when the Antichrist, the beast, the little horn, would come onto the scene. And we shared with you that we believe biblically in this house of grace that Jesus is first coming back for his church. We believe in what is called a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, we have friends that don't, that have different views. The kingdom is too important to argue about trivial matters. But we believe that Christ is coming back first for his church, then with his church to rule and reign for a thousand years. And during this process of events, Harpezo, the snatching away, the rapture will take place then the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ, which we've taught you the last few weeks, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Magog invasion, then the seven-year tribulation to where first we taught you the Antichrist will appear to be a person of peace that will sign a peace treaty in the Middle East and he will have followers, not just from one region or one nation, 10 nations, 10 kings, There'll be a one-world government. He will be raised from the dead on live internet after receiving a mortal wound. And people will not only change their heritage, they will literally change their religion to follow this beast. What is God saying to the church in this season? What are we to do during times of uncertainty and attacks, the Bible says when we have done all, just stand. Sometimes you can't pray. You can't cry anymore. You're tired of fussing. You're tired of fighting. You put on the armor. And when you've done all, just stand for righteousness. Stand for justice. Stand for the word of God. Stand for the spirit of God. And when you get your strength back, take the fight to the enemy. Hallelujah. We taught you last week that this beast is referred to in Daniel chapter 7 as the little horn, the king of fierce countenance in Daniel chapter 8, the prince that shall come in Daniel chapter 9, the desolate storm, chapter 9, verse 27, the willful king, Daniel chapter 11, the man of sin, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians, the antichrist in 1 John 2, 
and the beast in Revelation 13. He is first. For those of you who weren't here, he's a person of evil. There's a process of events that will take place. He will come on the scene after our gathering unto the Lord, after an apostasy, and after the temple has been rebuilt. It's not the temple that will bring people together. It will be the Antichrist that will first rally them around his cause. And then the real prince, somebody give me an amen, will come on the scene, not in a manger this time, but on a white horse to execute vengeance and justice on all who've caused harm to God's kingdom. There are two kingdoms. And this morning, in the few minutes we have together, I want you to ask yourself which kingdom you represent in your conversations, in your character, in your conduct. Which kingdom are you bringing glory to in this season? The first kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. It's the one that the beast will rule over when he comes on the scene. You see, we live in this dimension, but there are forces at work against God's kingdom. There is a kingdom of darkness. The Bible talks of demons and principalities and powers, and there are demons, chief demons, that have literally a stronghold over certain regions in certain parts of not only this country, but the entire world. I remember we were preaching a crusade in Nicaragua, and one night we'd had a tremendous week. We'd seen blind eyes opened. We'd seen over 1,800 people accept Christ as Savior. And it was towards the end, and I, I remember there was this lady, and those of you who went on that trip with me remember this. There was a lady in the back of the crusade uh, just going in circles. She was dressed differently than everyone else, and she was literally chanting demonic curses over the crusade. She was a fourth-generation witch in that particular region. The preachers were scared of her. She had been operating in demonic activity for so long, even the preachers were scared of her. And some of these principalities and powers, they've been in existence over a region so long that one little prayer is not going to get rid of them. You've got to fast and pray, and you have to have your whole armor. So one of the godliest ladies I know went to cast the demons out, and this lady physically assaulted her. We had to leave in a rush because of that territorial demonic spirit that's been in existence. Friend, I know some of these things can sound goofy or weird or even extremely charismatic, but we live in an evil world ruled by the prince of darkness. And we have to decide today which kingdom we're going to serve, the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of darkness is made up of a few principles. The first is deception. The beast, the Antichrist, will fool millions because of deception. The devil is a liar. He is a murderer. He is a thief. He operates in deception through your mind. If the enemy can get in your mind and create a stronghold in you, he can get you to do anything that he wants you to if he can get in your mind. He uses deception. Everybody say deception. 
The end game is destruction in the kingdom of darkness. It's not about you receiving peace or you receiving joy or purpose or eternal life with Jesus Christ. The end game when you're operating in the demonic is destruction. The end game is death on earth. Death is a byproduct of sin. That is why our Savior had to go to the bloody cross and die as one of us so that when he was raised from the dead, we would not only receive his spirit, but we would receive the promise of hope that we would rule and reign with him. All other so-called deities have died. There are more eyewitness testimonies that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead than there is that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. I believe Jesus lives. I believe Jesus saves. I believe Jesus can still change your life. But you have to reject the kingdom of darkness and embrace the kingdom of God. Darkness, death, deception. The kingdom of God is a promise. It's a promise of peace and hope and eternal life. It's about purpose. Not only during the millennial reign, but on earth now, Jesus Christ has given us purpose in his kingdom. Now, let's talk about the little horn, the kingdom of the beast. Next week, we're going to look at the Quran and the Bible side by side, but this week I just want to introduce to you some fundamental principles of the kingdom that the beast, the Antichrist, will lead. Daniel spoke, Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 2 saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Remember Revelation 13, the beast comes out of the sea, for those of you here last week. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Where have we heard that before? Somebody say Revelation 13. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. Everybody say the Antichrist. Coming up from among them, came up from among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking convincing and pompous words. The Antichrist is typified here as a beast, a wild, arrogant, venomous, dangerous beast. He will receive his power from the dragon in Revelation 12 and 13. The dragon is, you guessed it, Satan. He will receive his power from Satan. Do you understand that Satan can yield his power to people who are willing to serve his agenda? 
Look at Adolf Hitler. Look at Antioch Epiphanes. Look at the Emperor Nero. All these Antichrist types in the past had a few things in common. Demonic activity, destruction, divination. Same principles we have here. And I've taught you this many times. We all sin, which is to miss the mark, but there are levels of sin. You miss the mark, and then you have you trespass, you cross the line, then you transgress, but eventually you find yourself, if you don't turn from that sin into iniquity, and once you're, you've entered into iniquity, my friend, that's how you can be lured and led by Satan, the dragon. Sure, we all sin, and I'm a grace guy, and I think we can be forgiven, and I don't think we have to live under guilt and condemnation, but if you go as far down the road as some people into iniquity, then your mind has changed, your heart has changed. And the enemy can use you to do damage to his kingdom. If there's one thing I pray for Abba's house members and for people in the kingdom, it is that you will be aware of your surroundings, that God will give you the gift of discernment to be able to see that which is demonic and that which isn't. Because we spend much of our time fighting things that are a waste of our time. When we, there is a real war going on. There are things we need to stand up for and stand against. We must not fight with one another. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We are not fighting the flesh, friend, principalities and powers. Unseen demonic activity, that is our war. And how do we defeat it? By praying by getting in the spirit of God, getting in the word of God, by putting our armor on and standing up for righteousness. As I've taught you, three and a half years will be peace at the three and a half year mark. This beast will break his peace treaty and he will unleash venom and hatred and hell all over the earth. Both Daniel and the apostle John were futuristic visionaries who through the power of the spirit on their lives saw the future. Both men used very similar and descriptive language to describe Armageddon, to describe this beast, to describe the apocalypse. Both use this to warn us, not to put fear in us, but to warn us so that we would be ready. In our text today, the prophet saw four beasts. What did those four beasts represent? The beast rising out of the sea. They represent four kingdoms from this earth. The lion, ancient Babylon. Ancient Babylon. The bear, the Medo-Persian Empire, who overthrew Babylon. These are world empires that have been conquered. The leopard, the Grecian Empire, that took over all other empires under Alexander the Great. So what have we learned that empires conquer and these animals that they are associated with represent the strength in which they dominated other empires to become number one. And what this points to is that the Antichrist, the little horn, when he takes over and deceives the masses, he will have the characteristics not only from the ancient Babylonian Empire and the Grecian Empire, but from every world empire. And Antichrist's spirit 
that has ever existed. He will embody all of those strengths in order to deceive the masses. A mysterious creature with seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns representing a one-world government, representing ten kings, ten countries, European Union. We don't know specifically, but we know it will represent a one-world mindset in ten national empires. He will oversee them all. This is a succession of world empires. John has the same vision in Revelation, but it was backwards. He looked at things backwards to forwards instead of from where we are to the future. Ten represents national powers that the Antichrist will rule and reign over. Pay attention to the word globalism on the media. Whenever you hear globalism or one world government, these things sound really catchy and cool. They even almost sound like Psalms 133, like God trying to unify all of us for a greater good. But make no mistake about it, my friend, the enemy uses deception. And whenever you see globalism or one world government, understand those are seeds for a future harvest that God's people don't need to be anywhere near or a part of. Learning from history. As I mentioned, and I'll get into this more next week, but when we look back over the years through history, we learn that there have been many seasons of life where people have thought that an empire dictator was the Antichrist. I mean, Hitler was probably the closest thing we've seen to it. But there have been accusations that United States presidents were the Antichrist, which I think is comical. But any world leader, dictator, but there have been a few, Nero, Antioch Epiphanes, and Hitler, who really did some damage in their slaughter and murder, not only of Jews, but their hatred for Israel. And there's some things that we can really unfold from their personality. Number one, you, you see narcissism. You see arrogance. You see no compassion or a lack of conscience for the shedding of innocent blood. You see no regard for biblical marriage. You see no regard for the treatment of women. You see no regard for the unborn. With all of these world dictators, you've seen these same patterns that go back to King Herod who tried to eliminate Jesus. Things have not changed, my friend. The Bible has not changed. There's so much we can learn from history. These four empires that I mentioned, Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Grecian, Roman, what do all those empires have in common? They all four ruled the Mediterranean Sea. They ruled near the Mediterranean Sea. They all four invaded and controlled Egypt. All four were involved with Israel and the Jews. All four had interest in Jerusalem and the temple. All four empires were Gentile empires with Gentile rulers. I told you last week that I believe the Antichrist will be a Gentile. I will not say 100%, but I believe by next week I'll have proven it to you. All four ruled from the area of Babylon, modern-day Iraq. A king's nightmare. So during Daniel's time, 
We've taught you this too. King Nebuchadnezzar experienced a troubled, a troublesome dream. An image of a man with a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, thighs of brass. You've, you've got the picture there. Daniel interpreted this dream and told the king, this is what the world would look like right before the Lord sets up his kingdom. Ten horns in Daniel represent ten kings ruling over ten kingdoms. These ten kingdoms will be committed to the complete takeover of humanity. Daniel 7 verse 7 speaks of the ten horns. In 7 verse 24 it says this, The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. The legs of iron represent the Roman kingdom that would be split in the future. This has already taken place. Rome was divided from east to west. Rome, Italy being the western side and Constantinople and Turkey, Istanbul being the eastern part of the kingdom. As I said, the, the religion of the beast could be, could be part Islam and part Catholicism with some Christian doctrine intertwined in the midst of it. It's going to have some things you've heard before. In fact, even our Islamic believers, they don't deny the four gospels. We'll get into this more next week. The challenge today is not to preach next week's message. <laughs> let, me, let me lay this out. The legs of iron, the Roman kingdom that's been divided, the 10 toes, Many have believed for thousands of years that these 10 toes represents a European Union because it originally had 10 members. Now it has 15 or so. There are people wanting to get into the Union. There are people wanting to go get out. But here's what I found interesting in my study, and you just let the Spirit help you with this. Islam has taken over most of the original Roman Empire. So when it says that the last empire, the one the Antichrist will rule and reign over, is going to be like the original Roman Empire, it doesn't say that it will be exactly like it. It uses that terminology, and let me pose this question to you. Could it be Islam, that is the religion of the beast, that has overthrown most of the countries? Anybody with me in here? That were a part of the original Roman Empire. Only Italy and Greece remain Catholic or Greek Orthodox. And that is changing, my friend. Islam is moving at a rapid pace in that part of the world. The kingdom of the beast, I believe, is radical Islam. It could have some Catholicism intertwined in it and even some Christian beliefs. But I believe what we're seeing, the slaughter of Christians cutting off heads, 9-11, I'll get into it more next week, but almost every major terrorist attack we've ever seen in this country, radical Islam. And yes, there are peaceful Muslims in this country. Yes, we should work with them for freedom of the speech freedom of speech in our nation for like-minded views, my friend. 
but when you get into the radical segment of Islam, you're dealing with demonic people, a demonic mindset. They want to kill you. They want to kill what you believe, and they want to dominate you. They want to wrap your women up in a burqa. They hate homosexuals, which I'm amazed that people who are for that lifestyle who celebrate the Quran, they'll castrate you if you're gay. Confusion. Who does the Bible say the enemy is? The author of what? Confusion. It's a demonic religion. And as I said, there are many Muslims who are not radical in their beliefs, but it is the radical segment that will evangelize the peaceful ones during the end times. My father and I know many Muslims in the West Bank who are peaceful, kind, and generous. This is not an attack on every Muslim, but it is an attack on radical Islam. And I stand strong against them and everything they believe, and always will. The prophet Daniel predicted that when the Antichrist comes to power, he will subdue three kings. Early church fathers believed these kingdoms were Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia, northern Africa. Daniel 11, verse 43. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. In other words, money will still be the currency, and people who live and love money, they will be able to be bought. If you can be bought now, you'll be able to be bought then. And over all the precious, precious things of Egypt, also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Ancient church father Hippolytus said this in his treatise on Christ and the Antichrist. He said, in those times he shall rise and meet them. And when he has overmastered three horns out of the ten in the array of war and has rooted out Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia and has got their spoil and trappings, he will begin to be lifted up in heart to exalt himself against God as master of the whole world. That's what it says. So as we shift back to Revelation 13, I stood in the sand on the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns. The Mediterranean Sea was a very important area during the ancient Roman Empire. The beast had ten horns. Horns represent power and authority. So we've seen what the beast appears to be, and now we look at the authority that he appears to have. The kingdom is the host for the ten horns. The Greek word for beast is therion, and it means a wild beast. This is important. Y'all stay with me. Everybody say wild beast. wild beast. Say it one more time. Because I know how ADD works on Sundays. Wild beast. Uncontrollable in the Greek and untamable. Pay attention. What is the theology of this kingdom that the beast, the Antichrist, will come from? Here we go. Many Muslims of Arab descent trace their lineage back to Abraham through not Isaac, but Ishmael. Abraham's firstborn son was Ishmael. Mother Hagar was Abraham's Egyptian servant, his wife Sarah's Egyptian servant, Genesis chapter 16. 
Abraham's promised son was the name Isaac. You've heard us preach on the faith of Abraham. I preached on it Wednesday, Galatians 3. We're grafted in. We're all one because of the blessing of Abraham. The first was to leave. The second was to receive. And the third was to believe when he had to offer his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. You've heard us preach about Abraham. But one of the stories that we talk about is his son Isaac, how God gave him the son, man. When he was 100 years old, God kept his word, the blessed son. But what we never really discuss in church is the fact that Abraham and Sarah were liars. They made some mistakes in the process of receiving God's promise. They got ahead of God. Does anybody remember the story? Sarah said, hey, I don't know if God's really going to do this or not, so just to make sure, why don't we help God? Hit your neighbor and say, bad idea. She said, you go in there with my maidservant, and y'all get it on. And listen, the Bible's cool if you'll read it, young people. It's got a lot of good stuff in it, all right? And, you know, Abraham's an old man, but it doesn't say that he stuttered. He got to the tent quick, if you know what I mean. He didn't want her to recant her offer. So he got in there. They did what they did. Ishmael comes. Ishmael comes. After a while, Sarah starts seeing Hagar kind of cleaning the house with a little swag kind of looking down her nose at Sarah. See, a lot could be avoided if the men would just stay in the right tent. You know what I'm saying? And if the women wouldn't be jealous and fight over petty matters. As for Sarah, your wife, Genesis 17, I'm going somewhere with this. You shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But then God said something astounding. He said, No. Everybody say no. Sometimes God says no. We always pray for a yes, but if we're really listening, sometimes God says no. He says, No. Sarah will be your wife and shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac, which meant laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. In other words, because you're a man of faith, you've asked me to bless Ishmael, so I'm gonna go ahead. He said, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant, 
I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Now, some Muslims believe that Jews and Christians changed this story. In fact, that's what Islam teaches, is that Ishmael was the promised one, and the Jews got involved with the Scriptures and flipped it. They believe that Ishmael was the chosen one, but by accepting this distortion of authentic scripture, Muslims believe that the land of Israel belongs to them and not the Jews. Why? That is the answer to why we're still fighting there thousands of years later. Because Abraham went in the wrong tent. Chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 11. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. See, there was problems in the house between Hagar and Sarah. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, she fled from her presence. Now when the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore, see, she's angry, she's rebellion, she's just been treated harshly. Don't let that stuff stay inside you. Don't let that anger, that hurt, that pain stay inside you because it will transform you into something you don't want to be. It'll bring something to pass that never should have come to pass. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her this, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her this, here we go. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Here we go. That's where I've been trying to get to. Verse 12. He shall be a wild man. And it can be translated as beast. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. As we look at these seven heads of the beast, we understand that this wild beast, the root was rejection, was anger, bitterness. Those root causes were never dealt with and it's led nations to go to war because of pain and unfair circumstances. If pain and unfair circumstances can cause nations to slaughter each other and people to hate each other, what might those feelings do in your life? If you don't deal with your pain, if you don't deal with your unfair circumstances, if you don't deal with rejection, if you don't deal with your bitterness and envy, your spiritual sins, if you don't deal with those things, they grow. They become something they shouldn't be. And you, my friend, might even be deceived by the beast one day. I believe with all of my heart that God's people, God's people, are going to embrace a kingdom that remains. 
and that's where I land this plane. Yes, there's a kingdom of darkness, but it says in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. I'm thankful today that I serve the king of all kings. His name is Jesus Christ. This king will come back. He will defeat the dragon Satan once and for all, throw him in a lake of fire. We'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We'll walk with him. And we've got the victory, my friend. And when you embrace the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, you have access to heaven. You have access by way of the spirit to gifts to purpose, to eternal life, to conversations and creative ideas from Jesus. You see, we pray for things the king has already promised us. We beg God for things that the king has already paid for, that the king shed his blood for. And I'm not teaching you this series. We're not doing an autopsy on evil for you to be fearful. We're performing this autopsy for you to realize that you need to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That you need to leave Sinai and make your way, Hebrews, to Mount Zion around an innumerable company of angels. And you need to embrace the king, my friend, the king of all kings. Listen, the local church is his embassy. You are his ambassadors. It's not enough just to sit at home watching Netflix and paying your bills. Man, God's raising up an army right now, an army of evangelists, an army of prayer warriors, an army of people who are willing to represent the kingdom and to honor the king. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We'll get into this even more next week. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask my pastor just to go ahead and come down to the front. And voices of proclamation is going to come and lead us in the flow here. But as I said, friends, I don't want to scare you. I've heard enough hellfire and brimstone messages being raised to Baptists than most of you combined. But I'm telling you, I want you to hear the truth, my friend because I want you to experience God's grace like never before. I want you to know God is father, not dictator. I want you to know him like I know him, as a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And through the power of the Spirit, you can receive gifts and restoration and purpose. But the way you enter into this kingdom, Nicodemus taught us this, you have to be born again. Born again! And you have to repent. Jesus preached the kingdom all the time. His message was repent, repent, repent. The apostle Peter, same thing. Repent. If you need Jesus in your life, you want to be a part of this kingdom, just pray this prayer with me. I have his house, help me. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me for your glory. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, don't be ashamed. The Bible says, if you'll not confess me in front of men, I'll not confess you in front of my Father. That's what Jesus said. We don't need any more sissy, pretend Christians. If you just prayed that and you're not ashamed and God's doing something, you ought to run down here in just a minute to one of these pastors and make that 
confession public and be baptized in a week or two. We've got one that's going to be baptized as you're coming. But for many of you are Christians and you think you're retired from active duty. Let me tell you, if you still have breath, God's calling you to help be a part of an end time move where people will come to Christ. It's not just the job of the preachers. It's not just the job of the worship leaders. It's not Union University's job. It's not Abbas House's job. It's every person that is called on the name above every name's job to take the fight to the enemy and to share our faith. So Abbas House, would you stand up as we go into worship? Heavenly Father, I just pray for this amazing church that it'll be the church you've called it to be, a house of grace. Lord, that we'll share our faith again, we'll invite again, we'll invest again, we'll serve again. It won't take a campaign of begging, Father God, that your spirit will bring people into service in your kingdom embassy. Lord, we pray for healing today. If anyone is sick, we declare healing over the atmosphere. We pray for emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing today. And as people come for prayer, Lord, we just believe that you're already stirring something in the atmosphere. So, Lord, we give you all the praise and glory today for this ministry time that is to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You come if you need ministry today, my friends.